What up, y'all? This your boy Flame, aka St. Louis. And remember, God does not need our good works, but our neighbor does, you But anyway, welcome to Extra Notes Academy. I'm super lit about this podcast. This is the space where I will be unpacking Lutheran thought, ancient Christianity, walking through books, articles, music, response videos, all kind of things, just a panoply of interaction with material, really, so we can understand the world around us as filtered through the scriptures, church history, Lutheran thought. That's the goal here, hoping that many will grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord, that we would experience the hope and the peace of the gospel, and ultimately that we can get busy serving our neighbor from the freedom of the gospel, not to earn anything, right? So anyway, super lit about this new project, Word and Water. We will be unpacking that um, and the entire Extra No series. So just be on deck, be ready for that. Uh, one of the things I want to do today is just give a the lay of the land, all right? So when engaging any new topic, one of the things you want to do is to sort of check your presuppositions at the door or at least be aware of them. So somebody out there might be saying, what is a presupposition, Flame? Well, let me give you the definition of a presupposition, okay? Dictionary.com says to suppose or assume beforehand, take for granted in advance. So basically, a presupposition is when you presuppose something. You're bringing to a new scenario ideas, concepts, perspectives from your personal past, your personal perspective, or something else you gained elsewhere. You're bringing that information to this new situation, right? So you're you're presupposing, you're laying on this innocent environment, your already existing thoughts and ideas. A lot of times we talk about being biased, right? So you bring these things to the table and oftentimes you may or may not be aware of it. And it's not inherently bad. For example, a good example would be if you were on an airplane and you saw an elderly woman or man and they are attempting to lift up their carry on and to put it in an overhead bin. And you assume just from looking at them, well, they're probably going to need some help because that bag looks pretty heavy. So you just insert yourself into the situation and you offer to help. Hey, ma'am. Hey, sir. Can I get that bag for you? Most likely they'll say, sure. Thank you so much. You grab the bag, put it in the overhead bin for them. They think you great. You feel good about yourself. You served your neighbor. Amen. Right. That's a good presupposition. But presuppositions can go wrong as well. So you can do that in a negative way. For example, when I'm trying to unpack baptism and you just immediately say, that's not what that scripture means. And you haven't quite slowed down to hear how the church has thought about these things throughout the ages. You immediately presuppose that your understanding of it is the right one. And the only way of thinking about it and That can be a negative way to use your presuppositions. So we'll talk more about that anyway. But um, I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to play a little bit because it's the vibe I'm in right now. I'm going to play a little bit of the first track off of Word and Water. So shout out to the bro, Robert Volker. He is the translator of this amazing hymn, God's Own Child, I Gladly Said. And I had a chance to talk with him and to build with him and and to hear a bit more of the history behind this particular hymn. So if you want to know more about it, you can get a, I got a Lutheran 
um, service book right here. You feel me? It's uh, on page 594. And it's just, I mean, it's so many verses. Obviously, you just condensed it down to, I think, like three, three stanzas or something like that. But it's an incredible hymn. Look it up. Google it. Brilliant. Beautiful. Um, every time I hear this, this hymn, it just it just leads me to tears. So shout out to Phil J. He did an incredible job performing on this hymn. Uh, shout out to Michelle, who produced the production for this track. And it's just beautiful. So let me stop talking about it. Let me just play it so you can feel it and hear what I'm super lit about. I'm going to try not to sing with this mug because it's super lit. <laughs> Hey, that mug is beautiful. It's beautiful. Literally, like I listen to it so many times over and over and over because it's it just stirs me and it, and it it brings me to tears. It makes me think about being God's child. It makes me think about um this miracle that He's worked in us based upon a work of His Son Jesus on the cross through the means of baptism. And that's why we are here. That's why we are here because I know for some it sounds weird to add baptism into the mix because the version of Christianity that is mostly celebrated in the American context, baptism is not in the mix of the discussion. It's not that baptism isn't present among American Christians or Western Christianity. It certainly is. It's not that people don't have a category for it being um, I guess considered seriously. However, it's not championed, I would argue, in the way it should be, according to how Jesus has made it such a powerful tool and means to bring us into the faith, to keep us while we're on this journey, and to see us safely home. And uh, so, uh, so much more to be said, but that's just really uh, where we're going to start. But I think it's helpful, really. I got um, a few things I want to say just for this for this time that we have together. I think it's important to really consider how to understand this project, Word and Water, how to understand Christ for you and how to understand Extranos. So this entire series where we're talking about salvation being outside of us, that's what the word Extranos means. It's a Latin phrase that means outside of us. So I really want to help us think about how to get the most out of this series, because I realize most people that are hearing it 
do not have a reference point for ancient Christianity or Lutheran thought. Most of us really come from sort of the generic American spectrum. And that can be all the way from non-denominational to assemblies of God or church of God in Christ, all the way to things like Calvinism, whether that's reform Baptist version or the Presbyterian version. Um, But nonetheless, I think by and large, the majority of thinkers and listeners are not considering the sacraments in the way that it's been unpacked by Lutheranism, the ancient, the ancient church, the Eastern church, really the majority of Christians in the world. So let's just talk about that. All right, so, so the first thing that I wanted to do was discuss that is be aware that you have presuppositions, right? So you have presuppositions when you are listening to me unpack what baptism is. What's happening most likely is you're bringing to the table what you already believe about baptism, what you were taught either at a new members class or something you read from a devotional or maybe in seminary or Bible college. You have more layers added on top of what we commonly hear about baptism. And that's okay because at least that gives us common ground to have the discussion. You you value baptism. You want to talk about it. You have ideas about it. So now we can have a good exchange. So that's good. But you also want to check those presuppositions at the door in this way. You should be able to slow down and to hear my argument without asserting your presuppositions and turning a deaf ear to the argument. Because when you're doing that, you're not helping yourself. You're not helping the discussion. And you're really closed off to something that can be helpful for you and that can assist you in your Christian journey. So don't do that. (laughs) That's basically what I'm saying. You feel me? So that's the first thing is just be aware that you do have those presuppositions. They're there. Um, The second thing I want to talk about was be aware that you are on the other side of history. So what I mean by that. So the larger portion of Christian history is on the side of baptism, not being an outward sign of an inward change. The larger portion of Christians that ever existed and and that it still exists today do not see baptism as your first act of obedience. So, having the humility to realize that you are the minority. And that's okay because we're all handed down things. We all inherit ideas and thoughts and we start our lives based upon the things that were handed down to us. That's okay. So it's not a judgment call in the sense of you're bad, you're not smart or you're slow or something like that. That's not the case at all. So don't hear me saying that. What I'm saying is, is that, Uh, Just be aware of that. That's all I'm saying. Be aware that you're on the other side of history. So for the first 16 plus hundred years, Christians have thought differently about these topics. Even the passages that we will visit throughout the course of time, Christians interpreted them differently than the way they're interpreted now. So be aware of that on the front end, because if you're not, if you don't slow down and and sort of practice um, the humility, if you will, to hold your presuppositions back, 
you can miss out on something that's a good thing, that's a gift from God to you. That's all I'm saying. And then the last thing I have is uh, this matters. We are talking about God's word. So a lot of people will hear this as a burden. They will hear this as irrelevant and unnecessary, especially in lieu of all the things that are going on in this world. Wars, you know, pestilence and breakouts. It is relevant, however. This is God's word. This is, um, you know, a gift that he has set in place for his children to draw on. And we do right to slow down and to consider the sweetness of what God has in his word. And we should always find room in our lives to study God's word, to take it more seriously and see how we can benefit from what's in his word. Now, again, be a good Berean. If what I'm saying is not in the scriptures, dismiss it. If it's not biblical, dismiss it by all means. Um, that's the point. The point is we want to see what's in God's word as opposed to what's been handed down as unhealthy or what's the most common or most popular thing. So that's that. Those are my top three things that I want us to consider as we move into this series. Number one, by way of summary, be aware that you have presuppositions. You are bringing to the table preconceived notions about this topic. So Acknowledge them, recognize them and see if you can practice the discipline of keeping them at bay, at least to take in new information so that you can process it. You can pray about it. You can discuss it with others and have healthy dialogue. And I think it's also good that we, you know, not always do this in our echo chamber, because if you take this topic to somebody that thinks like you and say, hey, what do you think? They're going to say the same thing. Or if you go to a commentary written by your Baptistic pastor or your Baptistic scholar or theologian to see what it says about this passage, it's going to say what you already think. The goal here is to help you move beyond that, not in a way to trick you or deceive you, but to have you consider more broadly what your brothers and sisters have thought about on these topics, these matters throughout the ages, especially those who were closer to Jesus himself, those who were taught by the disciples, and then those who even learned, you know, a few centuries after them. How did they understand these concepts, these realities from the word of God? And that's the point. We want to we want to know that and acknowledge that and be humble underneath those things being present, those presuppositions. Right. And then again, to be aware that you are on the other side of history. So we stand In 2022 and beyond, we stand in a position of thinking these things are symbols, the version of Christianity that was handed down to us. A lot of people made decisions for us already, and they kept certain information out of our Bible colleges and our seminaries and our curriculum and the books and the devotionals and the sermons. Those these ideas didn't make it to our traditional Baptistic churches, our traditional, you know, generic American Christian spaces. So therefore, we wouldn't have even had the opportunity to grapple with both sides because decisions were already made for us. And we just took what was handed down to us as the only way we learned it well. And then we got busy. And God is faithful. He's used us to do good in the world. However, there are aspects to the sacraments that 
we didn't get in our traditional space. So that's the second thing. We we should be aware of that and we should have an open mind to hear. Well, let me at least take the time to listen to what my brothers and sisters throughout the ages have thought and said about these things uh, because they have the same Holy Spirit we do. They love Jesus. They love the scriptures. And um, well, they're with the Lord now, so they know even clearer. <laughs> but while they were here, the, the many that were writing and thinking and praying and processing and defending Christianity, they gave their lives to these subject matters, studying the languages and, you know, doing that under vigorous circumstances and some in much luxury and freedom to think and to ponder and process. So, yeah, they have a lot to offer that we can learn from. So let's just realize we're on the other side of history where we're actually the minority in the American sort of Western version of Christianity. Um, we're the smallest amount of people in the world who think the way we do. And I keep saying we because it hasn't been too long since I've been thinking as a as a Lutheran Christian. So that's why I keep using the word we. But I do not place myself on the side of the typical evangelical way of understanding these things anymore. And that's why we're having this dialogue. So anyway, um, and then the last one. Again, this matters. So you may say, I'm already content. I'm good. Um, I love Jesus. I feel the assurance of my salvation. I don't need all this extra stuff. Amen. I'm not here to take away anyone's assurance. I'm not here to add a burden or to frighten you. If you don't believe like this, ooh, scary. You know, you don't, maybe you're not saved. That's not the point. My point is, is that it matters. This is God's word and we want his promises. We want to live based upon his promises. So if he has good things for us to hold on to, to cling to, to give us more peace, to give us more assurance, why would we deny that? Who would deny free riches, right? If you already had a hundred dollars and somebody came to you and said, man, I want to give you another hundred dollars. What person in a right mind would say, nah, I'm cool. I already got a hundred. A clear-minded person would say, so I can have this hundred, no strings attached. And if they're like, yeah, I mean, I just I just want to give away an extra hundred, right? A, a rational-minded, responsible person would probably say, amen, thank you. You will receive it, especially if you need it, <laughs> you feel me? So anyway, that's the summary, and we're going to get into just the first few pages of this book here is called Free to Be, a Handbook to Luther's Small Catechism. So we're just going to jump a little bit into, here it is right here. Um, I'll put the information in the uh, description below. So if you want to Google this or whatever, you can do so. So, But anyway, what I want to do is just kind of walk through um, the first portion of this chapter talking about what is baptism. And I thought it would be dope to start there. So I'm just going to read a little bit, talk, read a little bit, talk. And, um, you know, I hear from you all in the comment section and I'll definitely be addressing your questions and it's going to be a bunch of back and forth. So just be ready. All right. So chapter 23, page 156, unit four, what is baptism? This is from Luther's small catechism. So and aside, get a book of Concord. That's the most important thing. Get you a book of Concord. They're available. Um, Concordia Publishing House, you can get a book of Concord there. You can also get it on your phone, your device. If you search Evangelical Catholic, there's a version there for you. 
get it. Get the Book of Concord. Go to Luther's Small Catechism and you will find the section on the sacrament of baptism so we can talk about what it is, how the church has understood it beyond our typical circle. Amen. Amen. All right, real quick. So if you want to learn more about ancient Christianity as preserved through Lutheran thought on important topics like baptism, the Lord's Supper, justification by faith alone, the law and the gospel, and so many other beautiful confessions, make sure you check out cph.org. There you'll find so many Christ-centered resources that'll help you grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord and the hope of the gospel. You will find books, Bible studies, devotionals, and some of my favorites like The Spirituality of the Cross by Gene Veith, Has American Christianity Failed by Brian Wolfmuller, to name a few. You feel me? Make sure you go to cph.org or you can go to cph.org slash flame and you will see a list of books that I've curated that I've read personally that have helped me out in my walk. So make sure you go there, tap in, grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord. You feel me? All right, so here we go. What is baptism? Baptism is not water only, but it is water used together with God's word and by his command. What is this word? In Matthew 28, our Lord Jesus Christ says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Here's the, okay, this is how he starts off. He says, By the looks of it, you might never guess that baptism is the greatest miracle that happens to a person in a lifetime. I already know. Guess like, what? Jesus dying on the cross? (laughs) Hang in there. You feel It looks so ordinary. Some parents, some sponsors, and the pastor gather around a bowl to say a few words and splash some water on a baby who either sleeps or screams unaware of what's happening who'd ever guess there is anything earth-shaking or miraculous about that right it's so ordinary it's so regular that's the way we think about some of these spiritual realities moving on it says but that's just like god of the promise that's just like the god of the promise to hide the most miraculous event in a simple ceremony Baptism is a miracle, a miracle greater than walking on water or pulling handicapped people out of a wheelchair. For in it, with the washing of water and the pronouncement of his word, God himself declares each of us to be his own, takes us into the communion of saints and gives us a future that not even death and the devil can destroy. Selah, beautiful. When you think about what God is doing through means, through earthly, regular stuff, right? Let's keep going. But how do we know this, right? How do you know? You making this up? Where does it say that in the Bible? How do any of us know that God has done all this in our baptism? That's the question we're going to consider in this chapter. For baptism gives the certainty that God's decision is for us. This certainty comes through the combination of water with the word in God's command. That's what baptism is. Baptism is it's the water, right? The earthly element and God's word, God's promise attached to it. And if you think about it, this isn't altogether 
unusual to us because if I were to ask you, how did you become a Christian? You would say something to the effect of either you heard the word of God preached or talked about or presented, or you read the word of God in the scriptures. It was, it was some physical element, whether it was a person or a book page, whether it was sound waves from a, from a person's mouth being communicated to you, hitting your ear. And as you were hearing these things, the Holy Spirit was taking the physical element of a person or the book, the Bible, and he was creating faith in your heart. So it was a physical reality with God's word and his promise that the Holy Spirit attached himself to and created that faith in you. That's what took place. So it is with baptism. God takes regular water, And he attaches his promise to it. Like I read here, Matthew 28, our Lord Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the Holy ghost. So, so these are Jesus's words. Jesus is saying, this is how you make disciples. You make disciples by baptizing people. What is baptism? Baptism is water with God's word. So it should not be altogether unusual to think about God using regular things to bring people into these spiritual realities. That should be already an existing category in our thinking. So really what I'm hoping you're doing is I'm hoping that you're seeing that this is based on God's word. This isn't based on some novel idea or something that I found on YouTube from some ethnocentric perspective that we haven't seen in years. And now all of a sudden I've discovered it and I'm here to tell people that none of that. This is based on God's word. This is based on church history. That's what we're dealing with. All right. So let's keep going. A watery beginning. In the last chapter, we talked a little bit about the power in words. When you read the last chapter, so it's all good. <laughs> some words are dead. They don't do anything to you or for you, but other words like I love you or I hate you or alive. They make things happen, causing you to react in some way. Even simple words like it's cold today or it's raining outside have life in them. They make you put on gloves or wear a raincoat. God's word is the original lively word. In fact, it is so powerful that God told Jeremiah His word is like a fire, like a hammer that breaks the rocks to pieces. And he said to Isaiah, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Bang. I love that. When God speaks his word, it doesn't fail. It does what he says it will do. But when God's word is spoken to us by others in the church, other things can happen to it. The words we speak aren't always so lively. Even words like I love you can lose their power and joy. So when we hear God's word spoken to us by someone else, it doesn't always seem to be a lively, life-giving word that opens up the future for us. Sometimes When it is spoken to all kinds of people, it can leave us wondering if this word is really meant for us. But right. So so the point here is God's word is alive. It's always it it never fails in its ability to accomplish the goal. 
it's never dull. It never fails at its intended meaning. Like you said, if you say to someone, I love you, that's meant to be a word, a statement that stirs you up, that makes you happy, is meant to, you know, enliven you. But sometimes a person can say it and they may not mean it. Sometimes a person can not have their heart in it, right? So that's the point. But God's word never does that. Every time he speaks, every single time, the reality happens. It takes place. It delivers. So let's go on. For instance, when you hear Jesus's words from John 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you. You might wonder if Jesus has really chosen you too. I love this because this is where we live. This is where we live. We be reading the scriptures and and we have that doubt in ourselves. We start to think maybe this ain't for me. Maybe it's for somebody else that's like super good. Or this person is very disciplined. This person is very nice. This dude is super talented. And we start to doubt if the words in a book are actually for us. So this is this is real life. That's why Christ has given us the sacraments. He wants us to make sure that his word and promises come home to us in a way we can't miss. Oh, this that's one of the things that drew me into this reality was, you know, as a person that can, you know, I guess be in my head or a person that can have that doubt like us all, you know, and just wondering, is this really for me? Was this sermon for me? Is this particular scripture like, is it for Marcus Gray flame? Like sometimes I can, um, you know, there've been moments where that's been difficult, you know what I mean? But the sacraments are these things from without that God doesn't allow it to be easy to doubt. You know what I mean? So anyway, that's why Christ has given us the sacraments. I love that. That's one of the things that really drew me into the the scriptures and and the and have and it made me have an open mind was it was the sweetness of the the realities as they were being talked about from my professors that piqued my interest. And it made me say if if this is really what the sacraments are, if I can track this down in the scriptures and it's there, man, I want this God. Like I need that because I'm sure you could relate to this. When you think about the temptation to read the scriptures and to sort of read yourself out of it, or when you hear a sermon to sort of wipe yourself out, to edit yourself out and maybe put someone else in that space. And then we think you're not, we think I'm not good enough or I'm not as disciplined as that person. I'm not as talented as this other person. And we really are good at editing ourselves out. And I love that God considered that in advance. And he gave us the sacraments to catch us in that space of frailty and weakness to undergird and strengthen us in his promises. We almost done. It says he wants to make sure that his word and promise come home to us in a way we can't miss as lively life-giving words and promises that take hold of us, filling us with confidence in him. He wants to make sure there was no mistake about it, that each of us knows that his promises are meant precisely, exactly, and completely for us. For us, Christ for you, the person that's looking at the screen right now. 
These realities are for you. Yes, point to yourself and say me, like whatever your name is, you feel me? (laughs) So in the sacraments, Christ puts his words together with some common, ordinary, earthly things, water, bread, and wine to give his gifts to us. This combination, Christ giving us his word with something earthly or physical is what makes it a sacrament, right? A sacrament is the earthly element and God's word or God's promise. When those two things are joined together, that's what makes a sacrament. That's why baptism is a watery beginning. In it, Christ takes plain, ordinary water that has been drawn from a tap and puts it together with his word to seal you as his own. And I know it's so hard to wrap our minds around that because it seems so just, I don't know, unsophisticated of God to use water from my restroom, water from the back of the church, like the water hose. Like, how can this water be used to bring me into eternal life? But isn't that like God to use ordinary things? to do extraordinary things. I mean, think about us. We are made from dirt, but God breathes into dirt. He gives us his Holy Spirit and gives us life. Jesus took on this same human flesh, us who are made from dirt, and then he incarnates, right? God incarnates the God of the universe, the God of everything. He binds himself with humanity, such an ordinary thing. This is how he acts. This is what he's revealed in his word. So it shouldn't be altogether strange. But anyway, it is as if he says here now with the washing of this water, you know that my word and decision are for you. Now you can be certain for I have washed you in my promise. Beautiful. I have washed you in my promise. And that's what he says when he says in Matthew 28, you make disciples, right? How do you make disciples? According to Jesus, he says, go, therefore, make disciples of all nations. How do we do this, Jesus? By baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. That's how you make disciples. And I'm going to stop there for today, but... I think if, again, if we can lay aside those presuppositions, if we can realize this is how the oldest saints thought about these texts, and if we can realize that this is important, this is this is meant for our good, then maybe through prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit, these realities will be comforting ones. They wouldn't be ones that threaten the crucifixion or the resurrection in your mind. It wouldn't be uh, a distraction over against Jesus's completed work. You wouldn't think about this as something that we are doing. You would think about this as something God is doing. And that's the goal here is that, that um, all of those, all of those presuppositions, all of your biases will be laid aside. And you can see from the plain reading of the text, um, these sweet, simple realities that have infinite and eternal value for us so that we can be certain so that we can be sure that God is saving us, that he's keeping us and he'll do that 
to the end. So we're going to continue to talk about this. Um, so yeah, welcome to Extra Notes Academy, episode one. Let me know if you guys are enjoying this. If it's something you want me to do better, do different. Um, I'm, I'm learning with you all. We're going to develop a dynamic where you'll know my flow. I'll know your flow. And um, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm open to, you know what I mean? Critique all of that. So yeah, but you know, go easy on me, man. Don't be mean and weird. You feel me? Uh, <laughs> and you know, we brothers and sisters in the Lord, regardless of what space you're in, what denomination. So let's just talk. Let's just dialogue. Let's just learn together. Um, so anyway, that's it. This your boy flame, AKA St. Lou. And remember God does not need our good works, but our neighbor does. You feel? I say before you go, that extra note.